Hello and welcome to this audio edition of the Ex-Mormon Files with host Earl Erskine. Thank you for joining us. On each episode of this program, Earl, a former LDS bishop, interviews a former Mormon guest about their journey out of Mormonism and into an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. These stories are encouraging, fascinating, and often moving. For more information on the Ex-Mormon Files internet video program, please visit exmormonfiles.com. That's exmormonfiles.com. And now, here's Earl. I'm your host, Bishop Earl. I'm really happy tonight to introduce Jan Jensen. And uh, you have an interesting attire here. Tell us a little bit about what we're, what we're looking at. Well, I'm, I'm a, an Episcopal priest, so this is how we dress. Okay. <clears throat> Clergy shirt, white collar, the works. Any significance to the color, the collar and so on? Is that just the way it's kind of traditionally That's the way it developed forward? over the centuries. But uh, this, this kind of collar has existed for about 150 years. Oh, okay. This style. Well, I think you look great. So. Thank you. Jan is also a classical pianist. Uh, he graduated from the University of Utah. Is that right? And That's in, in music? Yes. Uh, Probably not specifically music. What was it? Oh in? no, it was. Uh, um, I have a, I got a degree in piano performance. Piano performance. Okay. So anyway, we're really happy to have him here, and he's also lived in Jerusalem for four years. So he has a wonderful story, and you were also a former Latter Day Saint. So that's right. So tell <coughs> us about your heritage, your pioneer from pioneer stock and polygamy, yeah, yeah, polygamy and everything. Huh? That's true. I like to crack up people. They all, often give me a strange look because I say. Thank God for polygamy. I say, oh, but that's such a horrible thing. I said, yeah, but if it hadn't been for polygamy, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, it started all with my English great-great-grandfather from Dorset, England, who decided to come to join Mormonism back in England. And he was in the Salt Lake Valley within 10 years that it was, uh, that of, was settled. Of 1847. Yes, so it, was by, it was in the 1850s that he was here. Wow. And he had three wives, and my great-great-grandmother was his um, second or third wife. Wow. So, and you just kind of came along and raised in the church, I suppose. And yeah, no, that's true. That's yeah. my father's side. It goes back just a couple of generations on my mother's side. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mormon, uh, I'm the fifth generation Mormon. And where were you raised then? Here? I was raised right here in Salt Lake right City. Right here in Salt Lake. Yeah, I and, grew up. and you were considered yourself, I guess, active Latter-day Saint as growing up and got baptized at age eight? Or, oh, yeah. In yeah. fact, I just ran across the little um, baptismal um, certificate or the date when I was going to be baptized. And, really? <laughs> yeah. Anything you remember about that experience? or? Uh, yeah. Um, of all things, because my father died when I was only four years old, oh. and uh, he was not active, neither was my mother. So we were a nuclear family, just my brother and I. Hmm. And my mother shuttled us off to the local Mormon church with the neighbors. So we weren't quite devoted. In fact, uh, when I grew up, I was the most devoted out of the whole family, or the three of us. Yeah. That I was the most devoted. But uh, now when I was eight years old, I had my little interview with, uh, his name was Brown, Bishop Brown. And he asked me if I wanted to be baptized. Oh, yes, sir. I believe the church is true. And... Um, 
I was baptized, not in the local ward, but down at, I don't know if this is common or not, but I was actually baptized at the tabernacle in the Temple Square. Well, that's where I was born, or baptized, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, that, I think that was more common. They didn't have the baptismal fonts in right. some of the buildings. So, so active primary and Oh, yeah, I went through young? primary. I, I went through, through all the steps, uh, became... Um, Deacon and teacher? Yes, thank you. you. I've been out for so many years now. It's like <laughs> I've got to stretch my brain to remember a deacon and then a teacher, teacher and, then, and a then a priest. And when I was 19, I did become an elder. Oh, did you? And yeah. you were looking to go on a mission. I had always thought about doing a mission. I was zealous for that idea. And until I started to hit my mid to late teens, I started to have uh, some difficulties. Actually, my mother got involved with a cultic things like theosophy, Rosicrucianism, and somewhat New Age, and I became interested in that. So I started... As a, st as a teenager, huh? As, even as a teenager. So I, that was already starting to cause a slight, um, a little wedge between me and my Mormon beliefs because I thought, ooh, here's some other truth that the LDS Church is not even aware of. Oh. <laughs> this, this is even some other truth. Yeah. But, uh, uh, by the time I was 19, I was ordained an elder, and uh, I had a very good friend who was the priesthood advisor. He said, well, you need to go through the temple, take out your endowments. And uh, when he told me, I, he, of course, he's not allowed to tell me anything, but when he told me, they said, well, we make some sacred oaths and some promises to the Lord, and that we would even sacrifice our life for the church. I went, uh-oh. That doesn't sound like something I want to do. That doesn't sound like something I want to do. Oh. That's when I when I backed off. Instead, I went to Vienna, Austria to study music mm. at the age of 20. Wow. And that must have been a wonderful experience as yeah, far as music. Yeah, it was. I worked my Mormon connection to find a place to, to, to live in Vienna. And I was there for the two years. I, I, I was fortunate more than most LDS because... I didn't have a large family that was going to give that peer pressure, mm. like you got to go on your mission. My mother was, you know, it's like whatever you want to do. The funny thing is, like I said, I was the, the most religious in the family. Feeling like you had a testimony, even now you were, oh, yeah. you kind of said you were exposed to the occult. Were you still having a testimony of Joseph? And Yeah, it's a, yeah I did believe he was a prophet. I believed in the Book of Mormon. In fact, I was about 17 when I finally sat down read the Book of Mormon cover to cover. Let's see, in that old edition, it was about 500-some-odd pages. Yeah. I read the whole thing cover to cover, and uh, yeah, and I, I experienced that uh, warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. So I, I did believe in Joseph Smith, and yet I was also beginning to believe that there were some alternative truths that were also out there, and maybe uh, Spence, well, in those days it was David O. McKay, that maybe he'll get some insights to some other to, stuff to at this some new time. stuff huh? yeah to this new stuff well did you ever at this point and probably i don't know did you have any sense that joseph smith was kind of on the spiritualism side of things uh, the occult and masonry and that well kind of that's stuff. it Did that I, ever come well across? i i never went through the temple and uh, i grew up in this very um sheltered existence and that even at the local ward, at least in the 50s and 60s, they didn't want to tell you everything until they felt you were ready for it. Yeah. So even I, I was not aware of the, the digging for treasure or any of that or the talisman. I didn't learn about that until I was basically even out. Okay, what, which is true of probably a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, but what started me on my way out... <laughs> 
was <clears throat> I read certain chapters, especially in Isaiah, in context. And by the grace of God, I somehow did not superimpose a, a Mormon understanding and interpretation over the Bible. I actually read the Bible within context. And when God says, is there another God besides me? He says, rhetor ask rhetorically, I don't know of any. And I, <clears throat> even then, of course, haven't been brought up not to trust in the Bible. Of course. Of course, not being tr uh, to trust in it. I, uh, something told me this was more trustworthy, that Isaiah said this, than Joseph Smith. Yeah. That's what sort of started me the way out. And you then, can't have both, right? Can't have both. Yeah. Then I started to um, have some very, very scary experiences within the, the New Age and occultic realm. So actually, um, uh, it was rumored to be Jewish on my mother's side. I actually involved myself very much in, uh, in Judaism, and I was a member of the Jewish community here way back in the 70s. Here in Salt Lake? Yeah, here in Salt Lake. Wow. But it took him, he had to take me to, because I'm telling you, in the 60s, I, was, I never heard of a Christian witness. I never heard, you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I never knew who Jesus really was. I didn't hear any of that, although when I went to grade school, there were a couple of other kids that one was Presbyterian, another one was Episcopal, and ironically, that's what I am. But I never heard the gospel. I had to go all the way to Jerusalem to hear about Jesus as Messiah from a Jewish believer, a Messianic <laughs> Jew in Jerusalem. This is where you got your Christ Christian message from. That's <laughs> where I got my Christian message from. He was a Jewish boy from, uh, from North Carolina. Well, let me ask you this. <clears throat> Do you think it's possible for a Christian youth to walk out of church, out of their Christian church, and not have a sense of who Jesus is? Oh, absolutely. Because no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, saying, maybe I yeah, I, I probably said it backwards. Do you think Christian youth have a sense of who Christ is? Where, as opposed to a Mormon youth who doesn't know who Christ is. Well, there's a greater chance uh, if the kid's been going to Sunday school, and depending on whatever uh, Christian education program they have, there's certainly a much but I just, better I just degree. think the, the music in the worship, the teachings, it's all out of the Bible. The mm -hmm. music is all Christ-centered. At least that's my experience. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see how a youth, cause, because I feel the same way. I think that's what you were saying, is you hadn't heard this message of Christ no. as a Mormon. No, never did. And here you are at least 16, 17 years in the church. Yeah. And I'm just saying, would a youth in the Christian world be that old and not understand who Christ is. Oh, no, they would have heard about, about Jesus and what he did a lot sooner than that. And the gift that he gave us, the grace yes. and everything. I mean, when I grew up, you don't think about it when you're growing up in it, but when I look back upon it, uh, it was all about Joseph Smith. It was all about that he restored the gospel. It was all about that the LDS church was true. In fact, the only time Jesus was ever invoked was, was like an invocation. Pardon yeah. the pun. At the uh, end in of a prayer. At yeah, the end of a prayer. At the end of a prayer. That's about the only time I ever heard Jesus' name, really. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this uh, Jerusalem and Jewish experience <laughs> telling you about. Well, I, yeah, I met my, my wife there. Uh, she was a Coptic Christian, and I'd just become a believer shortly before that. And uh, <clears throat> I was actually thinking of going back to Europe to continue my music studies. When we fell in love and I got married at Christ Church in Jerusalem,
and our first daughter, she's a Sabra, she was born in Jerusalem, and we were there for four years, and then uh, our daughter had just been born that we came back to the U.S. in 1980. Oh. Now, you mentioned just a, a second ago about coming to Christ yeah. before you, before, I guess before you met your wife. What does that mean to, to you? Was this a born-again experience that you had? Very much a born-again experience. I was, it was explained to me, call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. I never heard that as a Mormon. No. Never did it as a Mormon. In and fact, they think that being born again is simply getting... Being baptized. And getting the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then right. you're born again by the Spirit. Right. So what did you experience or what... Uh... Well, we have to be careful about um, comparing experiences, but no, I, I became convicted yeah. that I was a sinner and that I was truly separated from God. There was not going to be any bridge except by way of Jesus. And it was at what was called the Jerusalem House, this historic house in East Jerusalem, that, that I got on my knees and asked him to become my Savior. And it was like this huge burden just, just, just lifted off of me. So I knew immediately that, yes, I had, it was dramatic for that's me. That's so wonderful. Yeah, it was, and, it was, it was, and it was different. Well, it was very different from anything I'd ever experienced as a Mormon. Absolutely. And, and, and as a Mormon, we have this concept of works to earn our way yes. to heaven. We have to do so much. And, we have to, and grace is what we've learned as Christians, right? Oh, absolutely. The, the two are night and day. And uh, the problem with Mormonism is they use these terms very loosely, but they've been completely redefined, as you well know. Redefined, yeah. They've been redefined. So, I, you know, I, when I encounter Mormons in a witnessing experience and I say, I'm saved by grace, well, so are we. Yeah. So I, then I, you know, all you have to do is ask, was, well, does that mean you're going to get to the celestial kingdom, you know, just by the grace of God? Well, no, actually, there's more to it than that. And I say, oh, so you don't really. Can't say yes, because grace means, in a salvific meaning, it means unearned. It is unmerited. It is a gift. And Mormons always tie the works in on it yeah. at some point that you've got to do the works. And grace, we're saved by grace after all, after we, can all do. we can do. After all we can do. Right. Well, so tell us a little bit more. Now, you spent some time then in, in Jerusalem, those yeah. four years. What were you doing there then? Were you... I, well, I was living as a musician. I, uh, I taught at the Anglican school. Okay. I taught piano. I also did over 40 concerts with the Israel Bach Society. Well, wow. and were you you were a Christian then, and oh, yeah. were you attending uh, a Christian church? Oh yeah, we. Okay. Uh, my wife and I attended Narkey Street Baptist Church. Mm. Uh, so sort of a family connection, uh, a relative of a relative of a relative. Is my sister-in-law's father-in-law was uh, Dr. Robert Lindsay, mm. who was a Southern Baptist missionary to Israel for over forty years. Oh my! And uh, it was an international community. The services were in English. I think at one point. They did bring Hebrew services in, but it was very international. And it met on the Jewish Sabbath. It met on Shabbat um, on Saturdays. But on top of that, my wife's late father was the pastor of a Little Holiness Pentecostal church. And so there were services at, at uh, my mother-in-law's place that we'd go on Sunday. So Saturday and Sunday. You were tied up. <laughs> we were tied up. We were going to services at these two small churches. Talk about a little bit about the fellowship, though. Uh, you were fellowshipping with, with Christians. That's important, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's vitally important. It is vital. 
Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, of course, because there's no such thing as a, as a Lone Ranger Christian. I'm sorry. It's uh, we're all tempted to be Lone Rangers at some point in our Christian walk until God smacks us upside the head and says, "No, I want you in a in a body to be uh, praying with other Christians." The body of Christ. The body of Christ. E explain that a little bit. Well, I know it doesn't come up very often in our discussions. What uh, what what's your perception of the the body of Christ? Well, the body of Christ, of course, is transdenominational, and trying to get LDS to understand that is all, without God in there, it's an impossible task because they're always thinking uh, a church structure is the body of Christ. No. The body of Christ are all those that name Christ as Lord. That are believers. And are believers. But it, it, then again, it's got to be the biblical Christ. It's, yes. It's got to be second person of the Trinity. Not our elder brother. Not our older brother. Not the spirit brother to Lucifer. Yeah. I'm sorry. He doesn't count. Although God in his grace actually regenerated me, not quite knowing who he was. It came about a week later that I was disabused uh, of that notion. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to share that? Uh, or, well, oh, okay. no, it, it, okay. it was funny. It's because I, I still, I just knew I was a sinner. I needed Jesus, but I was, I was led to believe he was the spirit brother to Lucifer. Yeah, that's what we're taught. That's what we were taught, but I called on him. I knew that I needed him in a way that the Mormon church never taught me. I knew that I needed him. And I think I said something to my, my messianic friend a week or two later where I said something about Lucifer being brothers or whatever, and he said, where did you learn that? That's nowhere in the Bible. Was it? It's not. That's one of those other gospel things. It's one of those other gospel things. Because, of course, I didn't know the Bible very well in those days either. And you also mentioned this uh, burden being lifted off your shoulders. And, and that's such a joyful part of this Christian walk, isn't it? It was. I, I be, felt clean for the very first time. Realizing that those sins have been paid for. We're all sinners. Yes. Christ paid for the sins. And because of his grace and his sacrifice, we can be presented before God. That's the only way to be uh, presented to him is that he has to do the work through us. And, it, you know, I try to explain this to LDS, that what I've experienced as a Christian, being born again, this burden being lifted, and actually feeling pure, purified, I should say, because yeah. we don't stay pure. We always have to sure. daily confess our sins. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. Yeah. But it was it was night and days. And let me tell you something. Because I was involved with the occult for about five or seven years when I was in my early teens to mid-teens, late teens, is that the devil can give feelings. Ooh. He can give nice little warm, fuzzy feelings. Ooh, I just feel this is true. Because that's a very typical comment is, I know how I feel in my yeah. heart. I've prayed about it. I know. So you're saying Satan can deceive us. Satan can deceive us. Paul warns about apostles that, and angels that are angels of light. Mm. And oh no, Satan can give feelings. and Because our faith is not based on feelings. It's based on the, the shed blood at the cross wow. of Christ. But yes, now I can tell you that I had all sorts of little, wonderful little warm fuzzies when I was involved with the occult that was right on a par with my Mormon feelings, if not even superior. Wow. Before we run out of time, I want you to, I know you're involved in, a, in an activity in Algeria. Is that true? I was until Arab Spring forced me out of there. <laughs> oh, okay. I, yes, I, I didn't know if you wanted to share any oh, of that uh, with me. Yes, you. I'd I just love knew to. that you had. I'd had love done. to, and I'll share very briefly. So, okay. But Bishop Munir Anis, of, he was the uh, Anglican patriarch, you might say, or the prelate of, um, of Egypt, North Africa, 
in East, in the Horn of Africa knew that uh, I speak Arabic, and he'd heard about me through the grapevine through uh, the Diocese of Europe. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a convoluted story, but but uh, he approached me about going to North Africa and uh, to Algeria, which is an extremely difficult place oh. to be because uh, missionizing is completely outlawed. You can't even have a Bible, is that right? No, you, you can, can have can, a Bible, but just don't go flashing it around. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just that the government has extremely strict uh, restrictions on everything. Hmm. But they've been rather uh, fair in that they say, yes, Christians cannot worship except in a uh, sanctioned church structure. And even Muslims are not supposed to be able to just put out their uh, their rug out on anywhere and just start bowing towards Mecca. Even that is supposed to be within the context of a mosque. Wow. So they've tried to be a little bit fair about that. But being a Muslim society, they're very highly suspicious of anything Christian. And uh, I'm of the, the Anglican Church is one of the few sanctioned churches that are there. Mm. But yes, the one thing I want to get to that's really exciting is that... God invites us into working with his ministry and converting people. He gives us this honor, but in one sense, he really doesn't need us because I went to a Berber service way up in the Atlas Mountains. Berbers, uh, the native group. The Berbers of... were there before the Arabs ever came across and made the conquest in the 7th century. Mm. They're, they're really the, the indigenous really... people of North Africa, and wow. St. Augustine was a Berber. Oh, really? I yes, he was. That. In okay. fact, I've seen a a church that he ministered in in Carthage in Tunisia. Wow. So that was kind of neat. I knew I was yeah. in the land of St. Augustine, of whom I'm a great <laughs> fan. But I went to this small church. It happened to be on a Saturday. I'm up in, the, in, the, in a village up, in, up on a crest of a mountain, and I'm taken by my host to, uh, to a service, and there's about 150, 200 praising God, and I just said, okay, uh, I know some of these used to be Muslim, but how many were Christian before? He looked at me like I came from Mars. He said, are you serious? They're all Muslim. Everybody here was Muslim. I said, but there's no missionizing. How did they come to Christ? He said, the work of the Holy Spirit. Many had dreams, visions. Wow. And, and then, of course, then sharing between themselves, but some of the key people had been converted by supernatural means. Wow, and they so, were sharing the Bible and then with they each shared, other? Yes, they the shared the Bible. God? They shared the Word of God. And that it was all supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of convicting, regenerating, converting, of doing all of that. So God's calling his people. God's calling his people. So, you know, that puts to rest, I would think, any of that. Well, what about the pygmies in Africa? They need to hear it. If God wants pygmies in, or in Australia to hear it. They're going to get saved one way or the other. <laughs> I bet it makes you appreciate, though, the freedom we have here in America to worship. Yes, we, we take these freedoms very much for granted because I, the, the time I spent in Algeria, it was not a free country. Yeah. You cannot just worship openly. In fact, we had to sort of do it behind closed doors, even though it was sanctioned. We had armed guards 24 hours, seven days a week. Oh, my goodness. With a gate. There was always, a, because there were Al-Qaeda operatives, we were afraid of terrorism. Hmm. So will you be making trips back there then, probably? <laughs> Not for a while. Uh, I don't think for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so what, uh, I know you've got some plans, though, in, in the near future. You're headed off somewhere. Or, um, I don't know if those have changed. Well, I've we been spending talk. part of my time here in Salt Lake and in, in Austria. And uh, actually, as you know, I'm leaving for Austria again just, just in a week. Okay. Will you be doing piano there? And yes, I'll be doing some music. And, and 
and hopefully Neat. some teaching. Well, you've got just a little bit of time left. What would you tell the LDS? What would you counsel them? What would you instruct them to? What should they be doing? The, the hard, Especially if they have any questions. Oh, well, all I can, the, the thing that uh, is that the nitty gritty is that the heart is incredibly deceptive. Who can know it? And not to trust their feeling that to be so absolutely certain that they heard from God, that the Holy Spirit told them Mormonism is true. Because, because the, you know, the, a person could have a testimony that the earth's flat. It doesn't mean anything if objectively we know and that the, the earth is, is a globe, then that testimony means nothing. And that's been my, my major concern in trying to get across to LDS is to test, as, as Paul says, test all things. Yeah. And it's almost like they are willingly blind. I mean, I think as most of us that are on this program and have been interviewed, most people say they know much more about Mormonism now having left it right. because they now have studied and realized the involvement in polygamy and masonry right. and all those things in the Book of Abraham and all those different things. Oh, that's problems. true. You know, the funny thing is I knew nothing of the Tanner's work. This is be uh, before so-called anti-literature and all these ministries. I think John L. Smith in Oklahoma was busy back in the 60s. The Tanners were just starting to begin their work. I didn't know anything about them. As I love to tell Mormon, the greatest anti-literature there is the Bible. Is the Bible. It's the Bible, yeah. but read in context. And now we're grateful that we can trust it. Absolutely. We we trust God and that he's brought his word forward. That was one of the great disservices, don't you think, of Joseph, that he, yeah. he told us that we couldn't trust the Bible? Well, all the, all the religions that consider themselves Christian, they say they're Christian, but they're not really, is they all, they all deny Scripture in some way. Yeah. It's been corrupted because Jim, that's the Muslim. Thanks so much for coming. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you joining us. We'll see you next week. This has been the audio edition of The Ex-Mormon Files. The Ex-Mormon Files is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City. For information about this program, including past and current video episodes, please visit exmormonfiles.com. From there, you can also download audio episodes of this program. If you have an Ex-Mormon story you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Please write us at contact at exmormonfiles.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon. Thank you.